This is CounselCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, my name is uh, Jeremy Witter. I am a solo criminal defense lawyer in Southern Maryland. Uh, represent clients for DUIs, criminal cases in Charles, uh, St. Mary's, and Calvert County. Jeremy, thank you so much for being here today. This is going to be a great conversation, partly because we've had a great experience uh, setting up your your firm, your website, all of your marketing. And so full disclosure, you are a client of our agency, but it's been such a fascinating journey to watch you transition to a solo firm and the lessons learned, but also you went solo, was it March or April, spring of so, 2020, yeah, right? So I, exactly, yeah. So I am a, I'm a member of the uh, Conroy Playtone Galaxy of Stars. <laughs> um, and I did, so yes, and I, I so I, I was at a small criminal defense firm in Charles County uh, starting about 2018. And the pandemic happens in March of 2020. Yeah. And business just, you know, overnight, uh, you know, a big shock to the to the business over there. Sure. And I had, you know, been thinking about I should go out on my own before that, but that really sort of crystallized to me. Okay, I need to I need to find something else. Now's you know, the I, time. I need to go my own way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is it, it's a great story, and I think in normal times. You would have had a great story as well, but this is there's just all these added little details because of the way the world was and everything was shutting down and trying to figure out how to start a small business at that moment. So the big question for today is how do you start a firm and deal with uncertainty? So that was a kind of a big lead up <laughs> to that whole, the, the big question. But I mean, in any time you're starting a new business or a new law firm, there are so many questions and so many things that are hard to plan for. And, you know, we all kind of make as many plans as we can, especially, you know, I know most lawyers brains are kind of built around that trying to avoid risk. But there's no way that we could have all seen this pandemic coming. So you figured out that the, that was the moment that you decided that, okay, now is the time for me to go solo. And then how did the pandemic and all of this, who knows how long this pandemic is going to be, and all of this uncertainty play into the way that you initially set up your firm? Sure. So it's very scary. You know, pandemics are scary times and it's, but also just, you know, from a business perspective, courts were shut down yeah. and so, and people weren't leaving the house and if people aren't leaving the house, then they're not committing crimes. And if they are committing crimes, then, you know, they're, if their court dates in a year, like, well, why am I going to hire a lawyer now? I'll wait, you know, I'll wait, I'll wait on it. Sure. So I, so that was, you know, there was certainly that kind of shock, but I think, you know, I'm looking back to 2020 by the end of the summer of 2020, People were, I think people just didn't know that like lawyers were still open for business or that <laughs> they, they could still conduct business. I think there was just this like, I can't leave the house. I can't go anywhere. Like, can I even call the lawyer? Like, will the lawyer even pick up the phone? Yeah. And I think as a, you know, as a professional, people have realized, no, like you can still go to the bank. You can still call your lawyer. You know, I'm, I'm sitting at home trying to think about well, what is this law firm going to look like? And, you know, it originally, I, I think I originally opened my door September of 2020, but 
certainly um, something that was helpful for me in terms of dealing with uncertainty was just having it, just having a plan and trying to be strategic. Yeah. Even if it's not, there's no such thing as a perfect plan. Right. And you, re- you revise your plans as you go. But that was certainly just having something written down and having a, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. I've thought out as many aspects of this as I can. Yeah. Even though, you know, I can look back now with a year and a half of hindsight and say, this was a good decision. This was a bad decision. Yeah. At least there were decisions made and I could feel comfortable in that. So how did you figure that strategy out without knowing? I mean, at that point early in the pandemic, we had no idea, you know, that we would be here almost two years later still wearing masks and still, you know, doing all the things that we're doing. And you were telling me earlier, even your court systems are, are still shut down. So how did you figure that strategy out? And and was it different than what you would have imagined six months before when we had no idea what coronavirus even was? I knew that I was going to have to set everything up. No matter what, I was going to set everything up paperlessly, yeah. try and do, you know, remote meetings with clients anyway. Well, certainly the paperless thing I knew I was going to, there was no point to launching a firm in 2020 and having paper files. Yeah. But very quickly, I realized, okay, I'm going to have to be able to do client meetings on Zoom and set it up. And the concern, like, you know, it didn't take me long to figure Zoom out. What the concern was, are clients going to be able to figure this out? If you send somebody a Zoom link, will they know how to click on it? Yeah. And the answer was actually, yeah, everyone figured it out. Or at least 90% of people figured it out. Um, And the rest of them will talk on the phone or, you know. And so... That business model of doing my client intakes and doing my initial consultations and doing, you know, discovery reviews with clients and that sort of stuff, doing that on Zoom, I have found that clients prefer it. Yeah. Maybe, you know, and especially, but, you know, I do criminal defense. My clients are generally younger people. Yeah. The younger people, the, the people that tend to balk at it tend to be folks who... So it's it's people that don't have like kids in school. Yeah, you're older than that. Yeah, if you have kids in school, you everyone got pretty good on Zoom in the exactly. house. Exactly. Yeah, we all figured out how to let people know they're on mute, <laughs> or they're not yep. on mute. Stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, and like every you know, basically every kid in America figured out how to do school on Zoom. Yes. And so the kids are all great on Zoom. Right. And anybody who has a kid got pretty good at it. And anybody who, you know, so it's like, who are my clients I meet in person right now? It's like, I have a client in his 70s that's like a carpet installer. Yeah. Like, so I'm not expecting him to like run his business on Zoom. Right. Fine. And so like he comes to the office when we have meetings. But basically all my other clients, we do everything remotely. And the clients, I know strongly prefer them because I always offer, hey, do you want to come to the office? And they're always saying, no, we'll do Zoom. This is great. I'll yeah. take a half hour off of lunch. This is great. You know, exactly. I don't have to so much you know, faster. meet you at a certain place. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And we still are looking at each other. We're still kind of interacting. You can, you know, read my facial expressions, all of that stuff. But I don't have to take all that time to drive over to your office, do all that. You know, it just takes so much more time. So mm-hmm. that, I'm assuming, that piece of it was never part of the plan before the pandemic, right? No. And it's... I mean, I'm still going to do everything on Zoom as much as possible going forward, yeah. even when, you know, even when there's not a, a public, Issue. you know, <laughs> uh, health concern. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, like I said, clients prefer it's much easier for me. I can take meetings at home. I can take meetings in the office. Yeah. Like, I'm not tied to I have to be in a physical location at, at a certain time. Well, and especially in your practice area where there's a certain amount of privacy involved and people, you know, want to get these things done quickly and privately and whatever. And that Zoom can really address that in, in a in it does feel more private because they're not seen walking into your office or whatever the mm-hmm. case might be. It just seems uh, easier and more direct. Yes, I, I, I agree. And I will say, too, that it also... Part of the uncertainty of the pandemic of when I was making decisions about 
you know, will I have a physical office? How much should I spend on a physical office? Where will it be? You know, I, I, I'm in a, you know, very small office suite physically. It's a very good location, but in terms of the physical real estate I have, it's tiny, especially compared to other competitors in my, in my market. Sure. turns out that doesn't really matter that much. If yeah. I'm just doing Zooms, <laughs> I don't have to, I spend very little on physical office space. Decor. <laughs> yeah. And... Look, and that stuff mattered 10, 20 years ago a lot sure. more than it does now. Of course. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that that that's a that was, you know, those decisions aren't don't have value or never had value, but going forward, I think the value of physical, you know, I'm going to put a lot of resources into having the most opulent physical space. I don't think that it returns the way that it did, yeah. you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, it for the equivalent for marketing for me is when I look when I watch Mad Men and you look at like all the layers of people and support and it's like mainly a lot of that was because they didn't have email. <laughs> so mm -hmm. they have like actual secretaries taking phone calls and walking the, you know, no and just all of the technology that we have now that that they didn't have back then is replaced with people and all of those layers of of work that it's amazing that when you look at a, a advertising agency like you know in the fifties or sixties like in Mad Men and all of the stuff that went into that and those fancy offices and the fancy conference rooms because they wanted to have the clients in and meet with them and all of that stuff that was really important to their brand and to be able mm -hmm. to sell but uh, we're in a different world now <laughs> things are so different now people it's, it's just not a priority in, anymore right and it's it was it, it's a way it's a way for customers who don't know how to assess quality it's it's a it's a shortcut for customers to say well if there's a big fancy office and there's a lot of people that work here this person must be successful i will be successful if i work with this person yep and like it's a shortcut but like that's not how people judge the quality of their lawyer or their, you know, other professionals they work with. Uh, how do they do it? Well, Google reviews. That's exactly. the biggest one. I was just going <laughs> to transition into that because I feel like that is now sort of the welcome mat, the Google reviews and your Google business profile. And the reason I wanted to make sure to bring that up is because I feel like you have really mitigated a lot of that uncertainty with you're, you've been really diligent with the local profile and your local, all of you, the local focus to the point where you've got those numbers dialed in and you know exactly where. So tell me more about your, your strategy with that instead of me kind sure. of. <laughs> Absolutely. So the, I mean, you know, once again, I'm not a marketing person. I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer. That being said, I tried to give myself as much of an education as I could on just how does Google work? Like, yeah. how do people find you? Like, here's how my my leads work. Here's where my business comes from. It's basically two ways. One is referrals and one is Google. Yeah. You know, I have Facebook. I post on Facebook sometimes. I've gotten one client off Facebook. Yeah. Um, that's actually, don't that's hire. actually impressive. It's, yeah, it's I, I, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like Facebook, if I'm selling like a physical product, Facebook or Instagram are great for that. If you're selling services, they're not, people are not looking on Instagram to hire lawyers. No. At least certainly not the kind of law I do. No. And so it's Google and it's, and it's referrals. And referrals are past clients, other lawyers. I mean, that's its own, you know, that, that, that's certainly its own thing. But, in but everywhere else, people go to Google and they Google DUI lawyer in your geographic area. Yep. And if your face comes up and you have five stars, yep. they're going to click on you and then they're going to call you. And now you're, you know, now you're off to the races. Yeah. And so part of it is 
Google will bump you higher on the local for having an active profile, having a lot of reviews, having regular reviews, having positive reviews. So obviously just getting your face, getting your, your brand up the Google page. Exactly. Yeah, because you were describing like business. when your face comes up, that part alone is a lot of work. So, mm-hmm. you know, when people Google DUI lawyer comma location, that next part, getting your face to show up is where all of your work has really been focused is how do I mm-hmm. get myself higher and higher and how does my face show up? So that's what you're kind of describing is the combination of regular activity, posting and whatever, regular reviews. But also, I feel like one thing a lot of people miss out on is responding to those reviews. Mm-hmm. Google? And there's a, there's an app on your phone. Yeah. So you get a notification, there's a review, yeah. and it'll be 7 o'clock at night, and I type out a one-sentence reply, and Thank it's done, much. and then I stop thinking about it forever. Exactly. But um, Google gets mad yeah. if you don't, because even I will get a review, and it's like been 24 hours or whatever the case, and Google's like, hello, <laughs> are you there? You, know, you haven't replied to this yet. Get on it. So uh, making sure – it's so basic – But a lot of people don't do that. And so making sure that you're keeping that conversation back and forth, because, you know, also, it's just polite. If you if someone takes the time to write a nice little review, just reply, just say thank you. (laughs) Oh, and those those I don't know what the like, if I could buy reviews, I don't know what I would pay for it. But it's, I don't know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. That's how valuable those are in terms of moving you up. Yeah. You shouldn't buy reviews. Nobody no. buy reviews. But it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. But as a side note. <laughs> yeah. But I will but here's the other so reviews are great, not just because you know, you feed the Google beast right. and then Google rewards you. They are also great because when clients call you, they're they they kind of pre-screened you before they pick up the phone. Yeah. And they call you and they say, Hi, you know, I'd like to retain you. I saw your if they say I saw your Google reviews. I can tell the conversation is going to be they turn around and sell themselves to me yes. instead of the other way around. Yep. That they've done their research, they've done their homework. That's how people make decisions. Yep. That's how, when I buy something off Amazon, that's exactly. how I make the decision. There's right? a reason why those reviews are so critical. And not just the fact that there's reviews, but if they're, if I'm browsing through a bunch of products and they're all similar and one has 1,200 reviews and one has one I'm immediately suspect of whatever that one is. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't even know if I'm going to get the right thing. You know, mm-hmm. we all go through that decision process on Amazon. And it's so natural to know the psychology behind that of mm-hmm. I'm questioning this guy. And also there's even studies that talk about if all of your reviews are five star and you've got a, a good number of them, even that is suspect because, you know, we're all humans. There should be someone, especially as a lawyer, there's someone out there that's not happy with the outcome of a case on the other side or whatever the case might be. So having a, a average review that's just under five stars is actually more trustworthy than having five million perfect reviews. All of a sudden, people start mm-hmm. looking at them and it's like, uh, I think that one's a robot. I think that one's not real. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you, do you have a system for asking for and getting these reviews? How do you do that? Sure. So how do you get, well, how do you get reviews? So one of the best things I did when I started was, so I made a list of, as I'm leaving, I made a list of who are my favorite clients that I worked with, right? And that list was super important for a few reasons. Number one was it helped me see in terms of developing my brand and developing the kind of folks I wanted to, to market to and wanted to serve. 
okay, what does this list of 30 people I found the most pleasant to work with have in common? Yes. So that that helped me, you know, sort of form my, my uh, desired customer and do my market research and that sort of stuff. What it also did was, after I went out on my own, the, you know, so these are completed cases. These are not people who have active, you know, business. But I called those folks and said, hey, I'm going out on my own. Yep. So number one is just getting my name out locally. Hey, I exist. I'm available. You can, you know, if you have a friend or something, refer them over. And I got, you know, a handful of referrals off that. But also asking them to leave reviews um, based on work I'd done at my old firm. Yeah. And, you know, and here's the thing. So you, these are my best people. We love, you know, we all love each other. If I ask 30 people for reviews, I'll get 10 reviews. Oh, that's pretty like, good, though. Yeah. And even then, I'm happy with it. But these are my super fans, right? Oh, these are sure. the people that, like, I know, like, I had the most positive experience with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I probably, if I, like, I, I'll send out this week, I probably sent, asked five different clients for reviews because I wrapped their matters. They went well, you know, and maybe one or two of them will leave a review and it'll yeah. be positive. And, but, like, I'm not going to sweat, like, oh my God, like, Why how could so and so not leave? Me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, people are busy. Knock I get on it. his I'm door not, at like, two in the morning. <laughs> my Google link right here. <laughs> I know. I know. But you got to send it to him. You can't just say, go on Google and find it. Right. There's like a, you know, there's a thing on the app that where you can just, you know, send an email to the person or send a text message and you have to, you have to make it super easy. Yeah. And for some reason, Google does make that a little tricky, like finding the link for your profile. I don't know why, but you do have to find that right link and send them the right link. You have to go mm -hmm. into your profile and it has like a little section where it says, share your, the link to your profile here. And you want to use that link, not whatever link you're finding on when you Google yourself. Yeah. And part of that too, it's just part of the process. It's part of my like closeout process when okay. I'm, I'm done with a client. So, okay. The case is over. It was dismissed. Yay. Okay. So here's the expungement I'm going to send you. We'll file that with the court, make it all go away. You know, any outstanding monetary issues, wrap that up. And, oh, by the way, I'll, I'm going to send you a link. Would you mind leaving me a review? It would make a, you know, it makes a big difference when other people are looking for me. It that's does. the language I use yep. and it's the truth. And and it you works. Know, and that's and it works. Yeah. And you know, there's no scam to it. It does make you know, it's it, it makes a big, big, big difference. Yeah. And and it justifiably should, so. It should be that simple and straightforward because I feel like anything else does sound scammy. And so just making it really simple and like tying it to that success too, I think is important because mm -hmm. I always talk about the the strategy of Trader Joe's and how they the reason they give out samples is not just out of the kindness of their heart. <laughs> it is a sure. business strategy. And when you give something free or you have some kind of positive interaction with a customer or client like that, there is this psychology of obligation that, that goes in there. And as soon as they have that positive feeling to tie that positive result of the case to then a request for that is perfect because you're you're timing it perfectly. If you do it at the beginning, first of all, that makes no sense. Like, how can I review you? <laughs> mm -hmm. I, we haven't done any work. Or if you wait too long, it, you're not getting that that reaction with the feeling at the same time. So I think that's it to make it a part of your system and at the right time is really important. So mm -hmm. I wanted to come back to what you were talking about with finding that group of your ideal clients and then honing mm -hmm. your strategy based on looking at that. Because I, when we initially started talking, I thought that was really smart. And the overall, I feel like uh, we're, we're going to link your website, obviously, to on the show notes and everything. But I feel like people should take a look at the branding and the approach because it does not look 
like a typical typical criminal defense, especially the color scheme. And so talk about why we, as we were working together, sure. chose that and what direction you kind of figured out once you were looking at that group. So yeah, so I, I like I said, I made my list of, you know, who are the 30 people I most enjoyed working with? Um, and that's, you know, I had pleasant interactions with, they enjoyed me, they paid their bills on time. Yeah. You know, there's lots of factors that go into who are your favorite clients, right. but you know, those are the normal factors, right? And it turns out a lot of them were mothers that I had a lot of positive experience with um, female clients and specifically like mothers. And the, so the thing was, it's not that the mothers were getting charges, right. it's that their kids were getting charges. Right. Um, but the mother was the one who was hiring the lawyer and like making a lot of the decisions and- Bankrolling. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that person was, I mean, they're not literally the legal client, but they're the, you know, the consumer, they're the customer, they're the, they're the marketing target. And they're also probably the one making a lot of the decisions. So even though mm -hmm. their name isn't technically the client, if they say no on the hiring decision, that's that's probably the end of the, of right. the story. Yeah, exactly. And so if you look at the other criminal defense lawyers in my area, the biggest ones, their branding is all fight, 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 fight. Yes. Like red and black color scheme. And that's not, there's no, there's no, no knock on that. That stuff works. And that's, but that's going to go after a different client than my son has a drug problem. Can you, you know, help clean up this criminal mess? And can we, you know, get him into some kind of treatment? Like yeah. th those, those are different, you know, and there was a lot of case, you know, there's a lot of cases, unfortunately, that are that second bag, right? Right. And so, you know, I see everybody else is fighting over this one pool of potential clients. Yes. And the people I liked working with were a different pool. So like, let's go advertise for them. Yeah. And so I haven't run the demographics on my client base, um, you know, by gender or anything like that. But that's kind of how it's turned out is that you will get the clients you fish for. Yes. Um, yeah. If you're intentional about it. And, yeah. you know, I certainly have a higher percentage of female clients than, you know, other lawyers in my area. And I'm, you know, I have plenty of moms I'm working with all the time. Yeah. Well, and some of the language we used was more about the compassion and listening and all of the things that a mom would care about instead mm -hmm. of what you were describing earlier with fight, 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 we're going to be really aggressive. Maybe the mom doesn't want to fight. Maybe they are really looking at the bigger picture issues that, that, that their kid is facing and they really care about the emotions and the, you know, all of that other stuff behind it. So I remember even when we were working on the branding and you were describing this client to me we took a look at Elizabeth Warren's branding and mm -hmm. we were looking at her color scheme. And it's like, it was such a, a genius move in my opinion, because she's already spent wh however much money on branding. Why don't we just dovetail on that? Because mm -hmm. we're looking at a similar kind of clientele. And if that is working, it's so it's these nice soft greens and blues. It's not the red and black that you're describing. It's not these super masculine looking fonts. It's And the language and messaging is appealing to the bigger picture kind of mother story than what you're describing. And so, and it's it's amazing because now we're going on a year and a half since since we initially put that all together and it's working out. Like that is, you know, the positioning that we aimed for. And it's just like, we pulled back that bow and arrow. I guess you pull back the bow <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then let the, the arrow go. And it's just aimed right at that target. So mm -hmm. that's been fascinating to watch as well. So anything else that you can think of in terms of, you know, how you initially faced like the entire world of uncertainty, but also setting up 
this business that was uncertain and kind of lessons that you learned? Part of my attitude about this has been that when I make a bad decision or, you know, I spend money on a marketing thing that doesn't work the way I wanted it to or whatever, I don't like beat myself up at all. It's just, oh, that was a free lesson. Okay. Yes. I know that's not going to work. Yeah. So, you know, uh, all right, well, Yelp is not going to get me any clients. Like, got it. Okay. Like, yeah. I'm not like mad that I spent money on Yelp. Like, right. okay, Yelp, like do your thing, whatever. Yeah. But like, I very quickly realized, oh, this is not like a good ROI. All right, we're done. Like moving on. Yeah. And just being very like intentional about like what marketing efforts will actually get the phone to ring and which ones will not get the phone to ring. And, you know, I have a, my, I'm looking for a tiny group of folks, which are people that have criminal defense problems, active criminal defense problems in a small geographic area that, you know, if you call me and you're like, Hey, I have a, uh, a million dollar trucking case out of Baltimore. Like I, I, I can't solve that problem. I can, re I could refer you to someone who can solve that problem, sure. but like, I can't solve that problem. And I can't, you know, if you're calling me from across state lines, I can't help you out. That's, yeah. You know, I'm barred in one state, it's criminal defense. It's not like I can, you know, market nationally, but you know, just being very intentional about what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, and getting as much data as you can. I think that's huge as well is, you know, look, I use, you know, I use Clio grow, I use Clio manage, just the norm, you know, stock off the shelf, normal Clio. But if you just feed it all the information and you're just diligent about tracking where your clients come from and just asking your clients or, you know, with like Google local services ads, Google local services tells you, hey, we just sent you this lead. You owe us money. Yeah. But also, hey, we just sent you this lead. Right. So I can just go back and Clio grow and just, okay, pull the drop down. It's a, it's an LSA. It didn't come from Google organic. Yes. You know, asking people, how'd you hear about me? Oh, Joe Smith referred me up. Oh, put Joe Smith's name in. Yeah. And that's been helpful too in knowing like, okay, which like, I, I know which local attorneys send me cases and also, but like who sends me good cases? Yes. Like I can track that stuff is like, you know, this attorney sent me 10 leads last year. Okay, that's pretty good. One of them turned into a client. Well, <laughs> I'm actually losing time by taking your leads. Yes. Like I know that, you know, and it's not, I'm not blaming that attorney or whatever, but like I can tell mathematically this relationship is not, Profitable. It's, it's not as profitable as the other guy who sent three, but all three of them turned into leads. Exactly. Yeah. I would much rather nurture the guy that sends me three leads and they all hit yep. than the guy that sends me 10 and one hit. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, it's been so interesting to watch not just the growth, but the way that you've been tracking. And so you can actually look and track your cost per acquisition, how much you're spending on all of these things. And you know when certain questions come up about whether you should spend on X, Y, or Z, whether that's going to be a profitable decision because you know what you're spending and you know what the value of a potential client is. So it's not super common. I will say I talk to clients and not just small firms, but pretty big size firms that are not tracking these things as well as they could be. And the way you describe it is so easy. Like it, it really, it's not rocket science. We should be able to, you know, firms should be able to track exactly how many clients they're getting in, where they're coming from, and the value. I mean, it's, you know, you just kind of are, it's a matter of hooking things up in the right way and setting up the right systems. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of this manually. Um, not, I mean, it's all, you know, with computer systems, but sure. it's, I'm physically entering the data. Yeah. But there are all sorts of, you know, you, you can spend, you know, not a lot of money, but a decent amount of money and have this stuff just auto-populate and use, you know, Vandy numbers and track all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a one-person firm like me, you can just, you know, you can DIY it and it, it works too. Yeah. But 
I mean, you have to, yeah, I know what my cost per lead is. I know like, so I know what a fair cost to get a client is with my business model. I know what a not fair cost is. And so like, that's why I can say, oh, you know, well, like Facebook advertising is incredibly cheap. And like, it feels, I've had people come to me around town and be like, oh, I saw your Facebook ads. I'm not going to hire you, but I saw your ads. That was cool. And like, I guess that feels good, but like, that's not like, (laughs) you know, that's not a great ROI, Um, you know? And so I can say, okay, let's not spend any money on Facebook. Let's pour it back into, into Google LSAs. Yes. Like that's actually what's like moving the needle. Yeah. And I've heard, look, for criminal defense, it's the, the cost per lead is not bad. I've heard for, for example, PI, the cost can get pretty, it can get astronomical. Yeah. But for criminal defense, it's very reasonable for, you know, what my median case is. Yeah. And right now I just like how much you know, the more money I can feed into Google, the more clients Google gets you. Yeah, it's just kind of a, a, a whole system and a machine. And once you've got it all kind of ironed out, then we're reducing all that uncertainty. And it just all comes back full circle where it's like, okay, I can at least count on this piece of, of my system working and feeding what I need. So awesome. All right. So Jeremy, as you know, our audience is full of tireless lawyers, including yourself, that don't have uh, time for a bad book that's not worth their time. So what's your recommendation for a good book? And I feel like I know the book that you're going to recommend, and it it ties in perfectly with uh, what you're describing in terms of systems and getting everything set up. Sure. So the the book that was, when I I was planning out my firm and and starting this up, the book that was invaluable was the, uh, The Small Firm Roadmap. Which is the uh, the lawyerist book by uh, Aaron Street, Sam Glover, Stephanie Everett, and Marshall Lichty. It's seven dollars and fifty cents on Kindle right now. Amazing! And That's a good deal. <laughs> like, so here's the thing: is like, I read a lot of business books when I was like trying to, you know, start my own business. What do I know about starting a business? So I was yeah. like reading a lot of business books. Right. And business books are generally it's two hundred fifty pages, and there's two good ideas yes. in there, and then a bunch of anecdotes, and you don't need the anecdotes, and you just got to pull out the two good ideas. Yeah. And you can read them really quickly, but they're very they're not that dense. Right. <laughs> Small so firm true. roadmap is like, here's 200 actionable things you can do. Yeah. Like, here is the plan. Here are the things you need. Here are the considerations. Here's the ways you can screw this up. Here's the ways you don't screw this up. Here's the big picture stuff here. It's just very tactical and very actionable. So it's and like 250 regular business books. <laughs> basically, basically. <laughs> like, and it's $7.50. Like, yeah. like, if you never start, if you're, even if you never started a law firm and you're just like, I'm curious about how the business of law firms work. Yeah. Read that book and you will understand, like, these are the things you need to think about. So I, you know, we live in Maryland. My wife is from South Carolina. For whatever reason, when we drive around South Carolina, there are a million billboards for personal injury lawyers. And I like can't figure like, and it's like, it keeps (laughs) occupying my mind. I'm like, what's the math behind And these are things I never thought about before. But like, now I'm like, how much are they spending on these? Why are they spending this much? Does this work? What's the math? It must work. People are spending money. You know, there's that heuristic of like, well, if they have money, then they must be working. Um, Well, that's, it's fascinating because, so I'm in Southern California. We've done a few road trips during this pandemic and we always end up driving through Vegas. And of course there's tons outside Vegas and it's always um, about car accidents and truck accidents and that side of PI. And I think, and I don't know, I haven't seen the numbers on billboards, but my expectation is that a good number of them is it's the same as SEO. It's just keeping up with the Joneses. Like mm-hmm. my buddy down the street has a billboard, so I guess I need a billboard. And maybe they get a call, but 
I don't know. I, I Plus, billboards over time have become less and less expensive. So I think in terms of like, if you're comparing it to big time SEO budgets, billboards are actually cheaper. <laughs> so it's like, get your number out there. And it stays up there for, you know, months at a time. But yeah, it's fascinating to see that old school stuff. Like there's people still spending money on the yellow pages. And, you know, if it gets a few phone calls, Maybe that's okay. Sure, I don't why know. Not? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and look, and I I tried a lot of different. You know, I try I put advertisements in the local like physical paper here. Yeah. You know, I spent money on Yelp. I spent money on not a lot of you know a hundred dollars here, two hundred dollars there, like sure. just enough to see what happens. And nothing really matters except for Google. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, there's a whole rant about like antitrust stuff and how like is it great that like the only way I can reach my customers is through this one mega platform. Right. But. That's what it is, it and is, that, so I'll play the game. Exactly. That's the know. way the world is run these days. But the the beauty of the Lawyerist book is that they've had years of actually being able to create this content and put it out to the audience that needs to read it. So it's all these lawyers, and they've been able to see the actual analytics and details about what lawyers care about, number one, what resonates, what people you know read more often, and then take all of that and put it into a book. So it's all of that really distilled content over years and years and years of stuff that they've tried out on the lawyerist website. So it's like all these bad books that, you know, w- would have been written with all this other content from lawyerist, but then they, you know, kind of filtered all all the good stuff out and threw that into a book. Yes, absolutely. And it's I mean, I don't think I even gave them that much money at the like I didn't sign up for any premium things, <laughs> but I just downloaded the free tools and stuff off the website and read the book <laughs> and I was just like, all right, this is, Thank you know. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, this will put me on the right, you know. So, uh, like I said, I'll, you know, I'll put them over, but like if you, if if anybody came to me and they said, I'm starting a law firm or I'm thinking about it, even I don't want to do it, I'm just thinking, read this, just read this book. It'll yeah. take you 2 days and it'll open your eyes to just what does it actually take? What things do you have to think about? But it also like, you know, I'll, I'll say like when I read that book, I got excited. I got like day up like three hours later than I typically would just like mapping. Like, and when you feel that feeling, like yes. that's how you know it's right. Yeah. When, it's, when you feel that like feeling of like, I can't stop thinking about this um, that I think new entrepreneurs get. It's, you know, I'm not the only person to, to yeah. experience this. Absolutely. But like once you feel that feeling, it's really, really, really hard to let it go. Well, yeah, not only that, but I mean, that initial part is always great. But there's, once again, coming back to the big, you know, question, all this uncertainty, but then getting a few months in, or, you know, like you are a year, year and a half in, and then starting to see those things work, to me is even more rewarding, because you're like, oh my gosh, I had this idea, and then it all played out, and it's working, is, it's like one of the greatest, most satisfying feelings, because it's like, okay, it's just kind of just justifies and validates all of the the time and effort and and all of that nervousness that you initially had about it. Yeah. Um, you should be nervous. It's scary. But it's, I mean, the truth is it has never been easy. It's hard to start a law firm. Yeah. But it's also never been easier. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Like, that's the truth yeah. is it's not easy. But it's, it's, this is the easiest time you could ever do this with all of these technological tools with Google with, I mean, you know, you have to be a good lawyer. You have to like be good with clients. Like if you can't do that, then you should not start your own law firm. But if you, if your only concern is, gosh, how will I get clients? That's, 
that's just marketing. You just be strategic about it. You can figure it out and just be intentional and do what works and don't do what doesn't work. I think that's so valuable because especially at this moment, because we've gone through this adoption of all this technology too. Two, three years ago, the idea of having a client meeting on Zoom was kind of weird. And that that would have like, even kind of bringing that idea up to your clients would have maybe felt a little, you know, like people would have been uncomfortable with it. But now we've got we've got over that hurdle. And mm-hmm. like looking back where lawyers would have been 30, 50 years ago without the technology and now kind of going through that, having the technology, but now the adoption of all that technology, like you said, it's it couldn't be a better time for people to kind of take that that leap and, and go out and do their own thing. So Jeremy, what's a big takeaway that you want listeners to get from this this episode? Well, I think I gave away my best yeah, line, which I is know. that it's, I was like, "Oh, that was a good one. I should have asked." I know, I know. It's uh, well, it's it's the truth is that it it is not easy to start your own law firm, but it's never been easier. Yeah, no, and that's, that's I, I'm on here. I am on the other side of it, and you know, I I know regular clients are going to come in. I'm going to do a good job for them. They're going to turn into referrals. They're going to get me more clients. I'm going to feed reviews into Google, and you just and you sort of just keep the wheel going, and. You know, and my business is successful and it's growing. And the tr- I'm working. Here's the other truth: I'm working fewer hours right now than I ever have professionally. Yeah. So, like, it's not. I'm not working myself to the bone. I'm working myself an appropriate amount of hours. Yeah. And and as much like, as I hate that, isn't idea that the of, like, dream? Like, exactly. Like that idea, that overused phrase of the work-life balance. That is such a critical part of life in general. And so, like, finding that balance where you know you can have all of those different parts of life and you don't feel like one is just like a tumor taking over the rest of the other parts, it changes your life. Right. And that's, and that's part of the, that has to be part of the initial design of what your firm is. Even if you look, my fir- when I say my firm, it's me and a laptop, yeah. right? But like, you know, it's a but, firm though, <laughs> yeah, but it is, it's, yeah. Oh, it's very much a firm. And it's, um, and I was very intentional in setting, you know, in setting up how this was operate, that it is important to me that I have free time and that yeah. I spend time with my family yeah. and that I am a complete person because I'm not going to, I'm going to burn out very quickly. If I, if I'm doing this a hundred hours a week, there's no, there's no honor in that. I'll just burn out. Like yeah. I'm not superhuman. Come right. On. And so like, it's like, okay, well, how do I do this job? Well, how do I get X number of clients that will generate X amount of revenue and how, you know, and how do I make them happy, do my job well, but also work a normal amount of hours that yeah. works for me. Yeah. And how do I, and also, you know, look, I've, I've, I have a young kid, like, you know, I'll work weird hours. Like, yeah. okay, I, six o'clock is bedtime. So like, I don't schedule me at six o'clock. Do I do work at eight o'clock at night sometimes? Sure. sure. Yeah. Like, of course. Yeah. But you know, but I'm also able to get in all the other important things in my life. That, yeah. You know, and that's don't, yeah, don't, there's no, there's no valor in, oh my God, look how many hours I work. No, like, that's, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I feel like that idea is going to go away eventually too. This idea of, you know, oh, I'm so busy. And that being like, you know, yeah, Gen, status Gen Z symbol. is not going to stand for that. No, it's not like, a status symbol anymore to be so busy. Everybody sees everybody else and it's like, oh man, you got to get that, you got to get that under control. <laughs> being so busy sucks. <laughs> like nobody wants to yeah. live that way anymore. Yeah. And like, and oh, you burned out. Congratulations. Like, yeah. That's, way to go. Yeah. You need a better plan next time. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, so thank you so much for being here. This was so valuable in so many different directions. And I know that the listeners will take so much from that. And it's, it's been such a unique moment for you to start your firm, but also in light of the the rest of everything going on in the world. So such good information. So thanks again for your time. 
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.